All right. If you would like to follow along, we're going to be in John 12. We are going to be reading verses 23 through 37. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world keeps it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. And where I am, there will be a servant and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now this is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ju- now will be the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where, where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of the light. Then Jesus said these things, he departed. And hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Good morning. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the joy of being together. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we look to your word, these words that Casey's just read, Lord, help us to have hearts and minds that are open, Lord, that we would receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Simon, if we've not met, I'm the pastor here, uh, just one of several leaders who are here to serve, and um, I'm excited to get to teach this morning, share God's word with you guys. We've been working through the book of John for a little while. Um, Some of you know this. Uh, Gosh, it's been probably close to a year or so now. And um, we've, you know, as normally churches will like go through series. Um, It could be like a book of the Bible. It could be a particular topic that we're sort of looking at. And um, around the beginning of the year, we thought it'd be really good for us as a church community to, uh, to do a sermon series that in a way would kind of force us to, to slow down. Um, this is not like a little three week, kind of here's a, a cool topic and move on. This is, let's, let's walk with Jesus 
let's slow down and allow Jesus to maybe temper our pace in this crazy, wonderful, frenetic world that we live in. And, uh, and so that's what we've been doing. That's the idea. Walking with Jesus uh, through the book of John, the gospel according to John. And obviously this morning we're in chapter 12, towards the end of chapter 12. Jesus was the grain of wheat who was to fall into the ground, die, and come back to life so that much fruit would be born. He's using uh, metaphors to talk about what's about to take place. He's the Christ who died for us, the one who lost his life for the many so that many might receive new life, eternal life, so that many lost sons and daughters might come home. Jesus is the king who was lifted up, nailed to a Roman cross, so that through his death, the one who used to rule through the fear of death, Satan, would be exposed, dethroned, conquered, and cast out. This is the point in the story where Jesus is about to make a beeline for the cross. This is the pinnacle. This is the apex. This is where everything builds up to, and he's wanting to help his disciples and those listening, those looking on to, at least in part, understand what is about to take place. This is what we might call the good news. Jesus is the one. He is that grain of wheat who falls to the ground and dies so that many might experience new life. Um, Of course, we have the benefit of reading about this after the fact, Um, John, the one who recorded this moment, these words, and all of these events, he's constantly sort of inserting commentary, wanting to help us, the reader, to, to really understand the significance of what's happening. Uh, this is exciting. And then Jesus uh, plops this little nugget at the end of that, and he says, now my soul is troubled. Really, really good news. Things are just about to get super exciting. And Jesus is troubled in his soul. What a mixture of emotions. Um, He also says in verse 26, and if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. How do you guys feel about Suffering. Um, How many of you have read a book or two or listened to half a dozen talks on the problem of pain or the problem of suffering in a world that's allegedly sort of ruled by a good and all-powerful God who, who controls everything, if I can put it that way, and yet, there's a lot of seemingly unjust pain and suffering in our world. Anyone ever ever read a book? Anyone ever tried to solve that problem? A few of us. It's, It's a popular Christian thing to do. It's actually not just a Christian thing to do, not by any means. It is a human problem. If, in fact, our world has been created 
by, by a good, a benevolent, all-powerful, loving being, then why? Why? Why do we all know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, now my soul is troubled? Oh yeah, absolutely. I get that. I know that. I know what it feels like to be troubled in my soul. Um, I actually wrote, I've read a few books myself on the subject. In fact, um, when I was finishing my seminary degree um, back in the UK, uh, I had to write a final paper. So five years of work, many, many books read, and now I have to pick one topic to sort of tie it all together. And I thought, I'm going to do, I'm going to attempt the odyssey. That's the theological term for how do you... um, handle this uh, problem, this issue, good and powerful God with seemingly unjust suffering the world. There's a lot of ways to answer it. You know, the Bible doesn't actually seem terribly interested in solving that problem. In fact, the the way the Bible talks about pain and suffering, it doesn't really even seem like much of a problem at all. At least not in the way we often think of it. Um, It's more of just a matter of fact. Our world's broken. Humans suffer, whether you're uh, a religious person, an atheist, or something in between. Like suffering is a, a, a common denominator. Every human being knows what it is, physical, spiritual. And instead of somehow offering us a workaround or some explanation so as to get God off the hook, the Bible actually offers us more of a vision for how to suffer. How to suffer. Um, Is it God's will for you and I to suffer in this world? Hmm. That's a tricky question. That is a tricky question. I don't think there's a Bible verse that says yes explicitly. If you know that verse, send it my way. Um, walking with Jesus will lead to some soul-troubling moment, moments. Um, but God's ultimate plan is to remove all pain and suffering from our world. I'm more comfortable putting it that way. In fact, if we just skip to the very end of the story, Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's God's great vision. That's his will. That in the end, All pain, all suffering, every tear shall be wiped away. 
and there will be soul-troubling moments along the way. The journey's long. Uh, we need strength. Now, if you actually just do some kind of a word search, pull up like a, like a Bible app or a program, whatever, and just type in suffering, it's just like all over the Bible, all over the New Testament. There's literally like a hundred places we could go. Um, I picked just a couple to kind of make a point. Look at the book of First Peter. I'll actually have these up on the screen. Look at how he talks. This is, this is one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. Look at how he talks about suffering. This is a gracious thing. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's a gracious thing. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Is it God's will that I should suffer? It's God's will that, I should, that when I suffer, I should suffer like Christ and the way he uh, left me an example. I realize some of you are so incredibly uncomfortable with this. First Peter chapter four. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Yeah, suffering's part of the process. Suffering's part of the process. And when Jesus said, my soul is troubled, it wasn't just... Um, he wasn't just thinking out loud. He was saying something in the presence of his disciples, namely, and um, he was saying it in a way as to prepare them for this. This is what the life, life looks like if you're going to follow me. If you're gonna be my servant, then you're gonna go where I go. You're going to experience what I experience. You're gonna suffer just as I've suffered, and you're gonna to learn to trust your good father just as I trust mine. How's that so far? When your soul is troubled, how do we suffer well, or how do we suffer according to God's will? See, I really wanna nuance this because you could say, oh, it's God's will that I suffer. No, it's God's will that I suffer according to his will. It's God's will that I would, when I suffer in this broken world that we all inhabit, I would suffer in a way that's like Jesus because his suffering, his pain was a redemptive pain. It wasn't a pointless pain. It was a pain filled with hope. It was a pain that actually he could even find joy in as he looked beyond the pain and trusted that his good father was faithful. And so it's a, it's a nuanced call to suffer. 
Because ultimately, no, it's not God's will. It's not his good pleasure that his children would suffer. That's, um, what is that? Oh, that's gross. That's gross. But when we do suffer, as Jesus leads us through this broken, wonderful world full of trouble, that we would take heart, that we would have hope, that we would know that there is redemption found even in the most unjust suffering in this world. So how do we suffer well? That's the question for us this morning. Because I think there's too many, now there's a lot of wonderful books. And I could recommend some really good ones to you if you want to sort of dig into theodicy. Heck, you could even read my paper. You don't want to do that. Just, just read the, the books. But how do we suffer well? When we find ourselves, when our soul is troubled, how do we suffer in a way that perhaps we do find ourselves rejoicing, in a way that's uh, infused with hope? How do we suffer well? I have a few thoughts for you. Number one, understand, this one's gonna blow your minds. Is anyone taking notes? Write this down. How do we suffer well? Number one, understand, suffering sucks. Um, And I'm not just trying to be silly, maybe a little bit, but this is important. This is actually really important. And this is oftentimes where, when, when you talk about suffering, people get really uncomfortable because you, could, you can actually quite easily and quickly veer off to different extremes um, that aren't helpful or biblical. Suffering sucks. Verse 27, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You know, it's interesting um, the way, well, we read from the ESV translation this morning. There's a, there's a few ways you could actually read verse 27. Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. In the ESV, the save me from this hour is put in quotation, so as if it's like a rhetorical question. What shall I say? God, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very purpose I came to this hour. You could read it as, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Which I think is more... It's more in line with um, that scene when we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which actually is not contained in John. Some uh, commentators, theologians suggest that this is John's Gethsemane moment. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before Jesus is betrayed, delivered, and ultimately crucified, we find him in a garden. And he's having this moment where he's, he's overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. And he's crying and he's, he's in anguish. And he says, Father, if there's any way, please spare me from this cup that he's about to drink, this, this, this experience that he's about to undergo. And then he, and he says, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. There's this real sense of like, I, I understand What's about to happen? And I don't want to do it. I hate this. I hate this. God, if there's any other way, 
please, I'm begging you. But at the end of the day, I trust you. I trust you. Suffering's not meant to sort of be embraced as some, like, some kind of inherently virtuous experience. As if the more I suffer, the more God is impressed with my piety. That's, that's not it at all. That's not biblical suffering. Suffering is not a means of virtue. God can redeem suffering. He can use painful circumstances to like uh, form humility and, and compassion and, and these wonderful things that are like right from his heart in me. But suffering is not inherently virtuous. Um, and this is kind of what I mean by it's easy to sort of like somehow get this idea that, that I'm supposed to be happy about my suffering. And if I don't have the right attitude, then, then maybe God's going to like punish me or, or make me suffer more until I finally like get happy about my difficult circumstance. I don't know if you've ever felt that way or had someone tried to insist that you should think that way. Um, the Apostle Paul, he says something so helpful in his letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians. Um, there's a part of that letter, the second chapter, where he's addressing um, some people in the church there who have it in their mind that, um, that somehow it's a godly thing to punish the body, to, uh, to sort of deny themselves certain foods or, or certain uh, comforts uh, asceticism is, is the word, as a means to sort of like uh, increasing their godliness. And Paul says, no, no, no. He said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, they, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You think that somehow you're going to become more like Jesus by uh, sort of thinking of suffering as somehow a way to punish yourself unto holiness. That's not suffering. That's not God's vision for his kids. Suffering is exactly what it is. It sucks. And if you're going through something hard, if your soul is troubled... It's okay to hate it every second and to have hope and to have hope and to find joy knowing that God's not forgotten you. Number two, understand suffering isn't necessarily a sign that something's gone wrong. Um, that's a thing, right? Has anyone ever sinned? Okay, just... So, for, for the majority of you in here that have never sinned before, um, <laughs> let me explain to you what it feels like. Uh, so, I do, I sin. I, more, more than I would care to admit, more than I realize, I'm sure. Um, yeah, some of my sin, like you would never know about it because I do it in private. Uh, some of my sin is like, like my heart, like just like my attitude towards people. Um, 
often a pride, I think, is probably a big one for me. I think I'm so, so smart, so just so uh, insightful. Um, part of my sin, it's, it's pretty obvious if you just hang out in my house long enough. Um, yeah, and when I sin, usually, oftentimes, it results in like real consequences. Like bad things happen. Like my marriage suffers. Um, I, I feel terribly convicted or somehow it, it messes up my life. Like sin does that. There are real consequences to sin. So sometimes when you sin, you will suffer because of your own stupidity. I don't know, <laughs> weakness. And so there are actual consequences to sin. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you can be doing everything right. Like Jesus was perfectly like in line with the will of his father like he wasn't sinning he didn't he didn't he didn't make a mistake he was doing exactly what he was meant to do and he was about to suffer and die so sometimes when your soul is troubled it could be that you're doing something terribly right now this is why this is important because I've noticed, I do this, and I've certainly seen others do it. I'm not alone, I'm convinced. But sometimes when you're in a season of life, and like deep soul trouble, deep soul trouble, you begin to think, how can I like fix this problem? How can I stop feeling this way? How can I manage these circumstances? I've, I've clearly taken a wrong turn someplace, and so now I need to like, like reverse back up change lanes just I need to change this thinking that somehow this is the result of like my sin or something's gone terribly wrong and we begin to panic we begin to backpedal we begin to look for a way out and we convince ourselves that it, it must be because I, I'm suffering the consequences of my foolishness my sin or something and so therefore I need to like make a run for it or so just remove myself from the situation and we can go to, to all sorts of extremes. We can, we, can, we, can, uh, we can leave behind relationships. We can, uh, we can give up on like hard things. But sometimes we're suffering because we're exactly in the right place. And how tragic would it be if somehow we, we thought, well, I've, I've just somehow got to change these circumstances because I don't want to suffer. I don't like this feeling. You know, the anticipation of self-denial or denying oneself, taking up the cross, as Jesus puts it, it always precedes resurrection life. Gethsemane always precedes the empty tomb. There's actually no way to avoid the pain of the cross if we're going to follow Jesus. And sometimes we suffer, sometimes we find that we are troubled in our soul. Not because we're in the wrong place or we've messed up, but because we're following Jesus and he's teaching us how to deny ourselves, how to grow in the way of sacrificial love, how to follow him, that we might experience life, abundant life. Number three, it's 
So number one, understand suffering sucks. Number two, understand suffering isn't necessarily a sign that something's wrong. And number three, understand suffering is never a private affair. It's not. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Um, again, this is Paul writing. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Uh, don't suffer alone. Don't believe the lie that when your soul is troubled, it's all about you. Um, have you ever thought to yourself, man, you're having a really hard time. Uh, it's just something's going on in your life. It, it is kind of personal and private. It's not meant to be like announced to the world. Um, but your, your default feeling is to like, well, not come here. That's for sure. Uh, not be around people who are gonna like maybe ask you questions and wanna know what's going on, just to sort of like, you know, you be alone, withdraw a little bit, sort yourself out, because after all, you don't wanna like, you know, dump your junk on other people, right? No one wants that. But that's exactly how we're meant to, to experience suffering in this life. In fact, I'm gonna say something a little controversial if, if you have found yourself in that place or find yourself in that place where you're tempted to sort of like um, just withdraw a little bit and get your suffering done off to the side so as to not bother the people around you or you just have to deal with the embarrassment of the questions and the et cetera, et cetera, um, I wanna ask you to stop sinning and do what Jesus did and invite his closest friends around him to be with him in his suffering in that moment. It's actually the idea that your suffering is somehow all about you, um, it's, it's sin. It's like the epitome of sin. When we make life all about me, and forget that actually what I'm going through right now, this, this, this sorrow, this trouble in my soul, it may not even just be about me. In fact, you know what kicks off this whole moment? The, the context of, of what we read this morning? Um, ben preached on this last week. In verse 20, you don't need to go there, but it says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. These Greeks found Philip, Philip found Andrew, Andrew and Philip found Jesus and said, Jesus, there's some, uh, some Gentiles who want to schedule a meeting with you. In verse 23, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's his response. Jesus, there's some Gentiles who have heard about you They've traveled from God only knows where. They want to schedule a meeting. It's time. It's time to go to the cross. It's time and my soul is troubled. Sometimes we can experience difficult, hard trouble in this life because God's doing something around us and how we respond is going to actually somehow be connected to what he's doing in the world. And God would say, come, be a part of this thing that I'm doing in these other people's lives. Oh, and by the way, it will require sacrificial love. You'll get to lay your life down that other sons and daughters might come home. And so I want you to be a part of this. In fact, what I want you to do 
is give up everything, come and follow me, be on mission with me. It will cost you everything, possibly even your life. That's a real thing. Come and experience the satisfaction of going to work with Father. I want you to be a part of this. It's going to cost you everything. It'll hurt. You'll experience sorrow. And it's not about you. I mean, it is about you and as much as it's about all of us. But we don't suffer alone. We don't suffer alone. Last point. Is this helping at all? Message on suffering, so we all like, right? I, I, I'm gonna just pause real quick. I know this isn't like the kind of sermon that's probably gonna get like the most hits online. Um, it's probably not the one you're gonna go recommend to all your friends. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think it's so, so important that if we do follow Jesus, we really do our best to, to mature in how we view suffering. For me personally, I think that I've struggled with this a lot. I've got all these sort of theological ideas about what suffering is about and, and how I sort of, what categories I put it in, how I make sense out of it. But when it comes right down to it, when I actually find myself in like moments of life where my soul is troubled, like I don't suffer well. I often freak out, I get self-absorbed, I, I, I lose my way, I, I act out, I look for, for all sorts of ways to sort of just um, sedate myself. I wanna sedate my soul versus actually following Jesus in those moments where I am deeply troubled and sorrow is beginning to overwhelm me. And I think it's a big deal. Particularly if we we're gonna invite like a whole broken world, I mean, we're all broken, right? But then like there's like those really broken people out there. <laughs> now we're just as broken as anyone else. But if we're gonna invite like a whole world, be like, hey, come and meet the one. Come and meet Jesus. We're all looking for something. We're all looking to be filled. I'm telling you, Jesus is who you're looking for. He's the deeper well. He has that, that bread of life that, that will fill us to overflowing. Come and follow Jesus. Oh, and by the way, um, it's gonna be the hardest thing you ever do. It's gonna cost you everything. It'll be the best. I mean, it's just full. It's like there's no joy, like the joy in following Jesus. He offers eternal life. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's the abundant life. I can't say enough about it. And, and you will have trouble in this world. You will lay down your life. To most of the apostles, the promise that Jesus made Peter and Paul is that you will suffer. You will suffer for my sake. That doesn't mean necessarily that the prescription is we all suffer as martyrs like the apostles, by no means. But we will suffer in this world simply by the fact that it's a broken world. And decay is a real thing, and disease is a real thing, and loss is a real thing. 
And if we're going to invite a whole world in to follow Jesus, we need to be able to um, disciple each other and how to suffer well. What do we do? What do we do when life gets really, really hard? Most of us, I think, we're too quick to pull the ripcord. Life is hard, everything's difficult, perspective flies out the window. Losing my faith, I'm abandoning my church, like all of these things, and I look around, I'm like, guys, we, we need to learn how to suffer well. We need to learn how to suffer with hope. We need to get a vision for what God is doing when we're experiencing sorrow in our souls. Here's the last point. When your soul is troubled, learn to listen to the voice of your father. The other three points are more of like, here's something to think about. Here's a perspective to have. This is more of something to, um, to do, as it were. When your soul is troubled, Learn to listen to the voice of your father. Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And the voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And Jesus said, this voice was not for my sake, but for yours. You know, um, this voice from heaven, it only happens once in the book of John. Happens twice in the other three Gospels. Once when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water and there's a voice from heaven. And then once on the Mount of Transfiguration, this incredible moment where Jesus, uh, he's like transformed before his disciples. And Moses and Elijah are there and it's this crazy, trippy moment. And there's a voice from heaven. This is a very, very special moment. In the book of John, this is that moment where the Father actually speaks from heaven. We're told that some people were like, it it thundered, or no, it's angels, and there was confusion about it. But Jesus said, this is for your sake. If you're going to be where I am, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to learn how to suffer like me with hope, the vision that God is doing something in and through a broken world. You must learn how to hear the voice of your father. Is anyone in here troubled in your soul this morning? Yeah. What is your father saying? When you're quiet, And you manage to be still and feel all your feelings, as we say. And you run out of things to distract yourself with. And you say, Father, what is going on? Where are you? What are you doing? What do you hear him saying? Some of you, I'm sure, you're, you're listening to me pose the question, and you're thinking to yourself, I have never heard God speak to me. 
Is that like an actual thing? What do you mean, like audibly? Like it thunders? Is it like this still, small voice that's not audible per se, but it's, oh, it's, it's just as real as, as if you were talking to me right here. Some of you um, have never experienced that, and some of you might, there might even be some like kind of shame surrounding the notion. Like, am I meant to hear God? What if I don't? Is there something wrong with me? No, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You're super normal. I want to encourage you. Um, there's a lot of things that we can work on, like doing better in life, or even as Christians. There are like aspects of my life as a Christian. We call them spiritual disciplines. You know, like reading my Bible every day, or coming to church, giving, serving. Um, you know, all these, all these they're, they're like ancient practices that Christians have been doing for thousands of years. If I was to like put one of those things right up at the top, maybe like the very tip top of the things to work on, it would be learning to hear our Father's voice. Learning to hear what our Father says. It's fundamental um, if being a Christian is becoming like Christ, then Jesus, of course, truly does model for us what it's, look, what it's meant to look like, this life of becoming more like him. One of the things for sure that we can say that Jesus models for us, besides suffering, is this incredibly intimate relationship with his father. He listened heard his father's voice and with those moments that God spoke to his son that sustained him sustained him through the cross sustained him in Gethsemane sustained him when everyone left him when all of his friends those who were supposed to be loyal abandoned him when things went down what if as a church we uh began to take seriously the discipline of listening to our Father's voice. You know, a few months ago, uh, Adam Lazenby uh, did our teaching here. Can anyone remember that? It's fantastic, right? He's gonna preach again uh, next week. I say preach. Um, I remember I told, I told some of you this story, I think, but when I asked Adam if he would come and preach, um, he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I said, okay, let's meet up. I'd love to hear what you have in mind. He said, I'd love to preach for eight minutes and then spend the rest, the rest of my time as a church family sitting silently listening to God. And I said, Adam, <laughs> Dude, I asked you to preach, okay? Not like, really? Really, that's what you wanna do? And this was kinda like my honest sort of like reaction, thinking like, that's, that's so dumb. Um, I didn't know, that, that's a little extreme. But I wasn't excited, I thought, no, that's a terrible idea. And, uh, and then I felt, I wasn't sure, but I felt like God challenged me. Like, hey, tr trust your brother. 
Trust your brother. Trust me. So I said, all right, Adam, go for it. I won't be there. Good luck. And as it turns out, um, I was totally wrong. Wonderfully, totally wrong. It was an incredible moment. I don't know if, if that's his plan again. Could be cool. But what if, what if we became the kind of church community that became um, really good at listening to the voice of our Father? As we open our Bibles, we're not just sort of, uh, you know, there's, I love doing Bible study. I love going to seminary, I love parsing Greek, I love doing all the things, but really, when I open my Bible in the morning, I'm just trying to get like cool info out of the book. I'm I'm sitting down to meet with my father, and I say, Lord, would you speak to me? I don't just need ink on paper, I need to hear my father's voice, so that when my soul is troubled, I do have perspective. So that when my soul is feeling overwhelmed with pain, I don't make the classic mistake of making it all about me. Oh my goodness, that is a very hopeless place to be. So that when my soul is troubled, I'm not running, I'm not hiding, I'm not self-isolating. I'm leaning in. I'm saying, Father, what do you want to do, not just in my own soul, but through my life and in the lives of the people around me? Who, who is this meant to bless? How am I meant to grow? Father, what do you say? Can we stand together, please? Um, can I invite the worship team to come up? I'd love to take a moment and just wait on the Lord. We're not going to take 20 minutes, maybe just a minute or so. And uh, as we do that, if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, why don't you share it?